Be More You is presented by Pius XI Catholic High School. Hi, I'm Jonathan Davidson, and welcome to another episode of Be More You. Today's bell work is about fundraising, and even though when you hear that word, you might think that I'm about to start asking you for a whole bunch of money, I'm actually talking about the concept of fundraising in general. It's a really interesting thought that everything in this world does revolve around money. You know, if you really think back to the foundations of humanity, there was an exchange of currency. You know, we look at the cash that is, I don't know, maybe it's sitting in your pocket today. It may not be. But you look at the cash and that all that is is a sheet of paper, especially printed sheet of paper given by the power of governments to essentially say this is legal tender. This is in place of whatever item you are actually trading. It used to be that you had gold or some other precious metal or jewel or gem and you would trade these things or maybe you had a certain textile or something and you would trade that. And instead of having that specific item, they created currency, uh, an IOU essentially. I will give you this IOU and you give me the product and the, or the service. And then the next person that you want to get something from They'll give you that product or service, and you pass on my IOU, and, and I'll keep owing until that IOU eventually comes back to me. Now, with the evolution of cash and coin as currency in the United States and all the other countries across the world that use currency, we essentially changed what an IOU is and just made it official legal tender. That's what I'm trading you for. I'm not trading you for you know two pounds of spices. I'm trading you for that piece of paper because that has an assigned value. And now everyone else with their goods and services can just kind of decide what that good or service is worth, which nowadays, that's how we mark everything. You go into a store, you go into a grocery store, you go online, you look at a product, and they have a price attached to it. And that is essentially just an IOU price. You give me this much legal tender IOU, and I'll send you the product. And so fundraising has become such a vital part of, frankly, any nonprofit, but even beyond that, this idea that we, we can't function without money. We can't live in a world that is purely trade-based because the truth is if we did go back to trade, purely trade, someone that makes furniture trades a couch for medical attention. Someone who uh, is a doctor might offer medical attention in exchange for groceries. If we were to go to that, we would eventually immediately default back into legal tender and IOU. We would. Because someone would say, look, I owe you a couch, but I, it takes me eight weeks to build it or 16 weeks. So let me write you this little slip of paper that says I owe you a couch. And its its value is four hours of medical services. And that same piece of paper that's going to take me eight to 16 weeks to fulfill, you might pass that on to someone else. Say, well, instead of offering you my medical services, I'm just going to pass on this guy's couch, which essentially gets us right back into the currency model that we currently use. So, the idea behind a full trade system would be kind of fun, 
right? You don't have to ever worry about actual cash. You, you go to work, you contribute to society, you'll be able to trade. But we know that we'll get right back to it because someone will take a pencil and a piece of paper and write an IOU. And essentially, we've gotten right back to cash. So in the current world that we're in, where cash is actually going out of the way, it's because everything's becoming digital, just like how a lot of your mail is just becoming email, right? Your, your bills, your, your newsletters, you know, they're not coming in the mail anymore. They're just coming through an email. And that's the same thing now with cash. People still carry around cash. People still carry around coins, a few. But mostly people are transferring money through digital currency services, these services allow me to send money to a friend. You know, maybe we split dinner and they paid for it with their credit card, not with cash, their credit card, just a card that says, I've got this much money and I'm swiping the card and you take the money. And then I pay that person back with an app that just sends money to that person and stays in the app and everything's becoming paperless. So essentially, the idea behind cash is going digital in the same way that the idea behind mail has gone digital. We don't need to send that on paper anymore. We're just sending you digital code. You give me this much digital code, it tells me that I've got this much more money sitting in my bank account. That bank account is, in theory, a fabrication of an idea of money. But as long as people honor it, as people value it, the banks say, yeah, that's what you have, and the banks supply the actual amount of money, then you're in good shape. So fundraising can easily become an incredibly difficult task. But I wonder, and this is totally speculation, I wonder if it's gotten a little bit easier with the onset of essentially digital currency. And I'm not talking about things like Bitcoin, you know, like cryptocurrency. I'm talking about just digital currency. Someone with a checking account and they can send money by a click of a button instead of physically walking cash over to something. Even the use of a credit card has gone to be not as efficient as some of these more digital services, just direct debit or using the credit card just digitally through a computer. I wonder if fundraising has become know, less hindered through the onset of digital currency. Someone says, yeah, I don't mind donating to that. I don't mind donating to that. I'll give a little bit over here. I don't mind giving a little bit over there. Maybe, because for them it's an easy task. It's a click of a button. As opposed to, you go back to you know the, the Jerry Lewis telethon, someone had to physically pick up the phone, call in, pledge an amount of money. A couple weeks later, they'd get a little invoice in the mail. They'd have to either write a check to satisfy the invoice. I mean, it was a whole process just to donate a $25 pledge to the charities. And so often, you'd get phone calls from various organizations saying, hey, we are this company, we offer this service, we would love your support and your donation of this amount, can we count on you for that? And essentially, you'd say, okay, but then you would be, okay, do I write a check? What, what do I do? It's a whole process. Now, it's click a button. Now, again, that's just me speculating. I, I don't know a lot about this. I, I'm just kind of thinking about what the process would be like, but 
our, our guest today has been doing fundraising for Pius for quite a few years now. Uh, and they, they work harder than pretty much uh, anybody. You, you, they are running around like crazy. And so I was just curious, really, about fundraising as a, as a job. You know, what actually does it, what does it take out of you on a day-to-day basis? So our advancement coordinator, advancement director here at Pius, our guest today, Angela Riley. All right, I am here with Angela Riley. And Angela, tell us your title here at Pius. Jonathan, (laughs) I am the chief advancement officer. Chief advancement officer. Can you explain to the masses what the chief advancement officer does? Um, I always joke that I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. (laughs) I do a lot of things here, but primarily I'm responsible for raising funds for the school. Um, I'm also in charge of marketing, alumni relations, special events, communications, public relations. It's kind of all the things that advance the school. All right. Very nice. That sounds like a very complex job. (laughs) It's a busy job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Um, So what would you say out of all those little things is kind of the, the, the pinnacle, like the one thing that you, you almost focus the most on, on a daily basis? Right. So I think my primary role here and the thing that kind of I'm most passionate about is the fundraising aspect of it. So my job is to essentially raise the amount of money needed to keep the school running. So there's a gap that happens every year between what we collect in tuition and other fees and then what we need to keep the school going. But that includes, you know, what we need to um, have our kids have enough financial aid and scholarship support, um, adding new programs, um, supporting co-curriculars, and there's so much that these gifts do. So um, my primary, like, the driver of what I do really is to focus on what the, what the major needs of the school are at the moment and then also what the long-term strategic goals are and then try to align that with, you know, the best part, which is talking to alumni and donors and kind of sharing with them how they can make a difference. Um, and I think people don't realize that it's, not taking money from people, you know, I'm not begging for things. Like this is an opportunity yeah. for someone who really cares about education, who cares about pious, who cares about the future of our country and our world to make an investment. And that's a privilege and an honor to be able to participate in that moment with people. Um, so it's a fun job. Well, good. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so what kind of led you into that type of role? So I, I know you, you went to Marquette, correct? I did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and your major at Marquette was? English. English, right. <laughs> Perfect. <Why not? laughs> yeah, that, that says fundraising right there. Um, so uh, what kind of led you from, let's say, an English major at Marquette uh-huh. to getting into advancement? That's a good question. So um, the English major part is interesting, too. So being in a high school right now, um, I was Add, add something you didn't even ask about. Um, <laughs> so when I was in high school, I had this awesome English teacher. I went to high school um, in Illinois, which yeah. is an all-girls school. And I had this awesome, like, hippie, weird, fun English teacher who had us read all these crazy books that were not on anyone's list. You know, like <laughs> Margaret Atwood and yeah. all, these, all these things that I had never been exposed to. And I just fell in love with reading. Um, 
So, but yes, I was an English major at Marquette. Um, I did a writing intensive kind of track. So a lot of my um, classes were in communications, public relations, marketing, advertising. Um, so it wasn't just literature. Sure. Um, and I started off in advertising um, for two years. So I worked for an ad agency here in town. And um, I moved to Wauwatosa and my upstairs duplex neighbor um, was the head of development for the Eye Institute at the medical college. Mm. And she and I became friends. And um, after about a year of um, becoming friends with her, she was like, hey, I really need someone like you in my office. Would you ever <laughs> consider? So I totally accidentally got into this role. But my job then was um, a public relations specialist. So I did a lot of communications. Um, she left after six months. <laughs> And I was on my own. So then I was kind of like just doing whatever she did. So I had watched her for six months and I just kind of copied, you know, how she did her job. And um, (laughs) 20 years later, (laughs) this is my career. Um, But it was really interesting because I really like had not even considered this was a job. Yeah. Um, And again, I just kind of learned by doing and observing and kind of trial by fire and practicing and making a ton of mistakes. So I ended up becoming the director of development at the high Institute. Um, I was there for almost 11 years and then I left and went to, um, I needed to like expand a little bit and learn some new stuff. Um, so I went to Milwaukee ballet where I was the um, director of development for five years and then, um, and then I came here. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, the title here is is Chief Advancement Officer, Director of Development. Mm-hmm. Is there any kind of difference in those definitions between like development and advancement? Or are they all kind of kind of a synonym? Um, there, I mean, development is really primarily focused on fundraising. The sure. advancement part of it is like the all inclusive, um, you know, marketing, communications, public relations, alumni. I mean, it's all kind of bunched together, but it's all kind of, um, each institution has kind of a slightly different title for it. Yeah. Um, so a lot of colleges will use the term institutional advancement. Some people call it the development office. (laughs) Okay. Uh, excellent. So you've obviously done a lot of fundraising events and activities here at Pius. Mm -hmm. Uh, is there any one in particular that you just always look forward to like this? I can't wait for, this is my favorite one. Uh, or anything of that sort, or the exact opposite, where you're like, oh, please, not this one again. I can't stand this one. <laughs> I don't know if I can share that. <laughs> sure. Well, so the thing about events is like, they're yes, they're really fun. They're really creative. Um, and I love that aspect of it. So I love the auction for that reason. Um, since I started working at Pius, I like to do like a theme for the event every year. So I think it used to just be called like the auction. Um but having come from the ballet and having like such a creative like group of people, I came here and each year we have a different theme. So this past year was Stand By Me. Um, the year before that was The Best of Pious and it was at Best Place. <laughs> um, so I love that part of it. Um, events to me are very, um, they're hard. I mean, it's a ton of detail um, stuff and a ton of um, work leading up to it. So there's, you know, I think what people don't realize when they get to an event is that like, oh, it seems fun. And, you know, it was like a nice time and it was great. Um, There's so much work (laughs) that goes into it. So um, it's really satisfying when they're wrapped um, because then we can look back and be like, oh, we did that. It was, you know, it was pretty great. 
this year was interesting because of COVID. Sure. Um, so we had to host our first virtual event and we had, um, when everything shut down in March, we had literally just sent our invitations <laughs> in the mail. We were going to have our event at Turner Hall Ballroom. It was going to be really great. Um, so a few weeks later, we were like, Ugh, <laughs> now what? Um, so kind of in real time, we were like, okay, we're going to make it a virtual event. And I, I heard a rumor that there was a phenomenal magic show for the standby. It was all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was phenomenal. So yeah, you um, you were part of that. Event. Yeah. So we had a series of videos. Um, you know, we had your magic show. We had um, a cooking demonstration. We had DJ Shauna who did like a live um, DJ set dance party. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of fun stuff leading up to it too. So I'm really proud of that event. Yeah. Um, and it was really fun. And it was great because it raised a lot of support for the school, which is why we do it. Yeah. And it, it, I think in some ways, w- one of the things I've been talking about a lot with people recently is how COVID has forced people to step outside their routines, mm-hmm. you know, and for many companies, at least in my understanding, and I could be wrong about this, but for many companies, they kind of enter that fundraising routine. Like, all right, we do this event, then right. we do this event, and maybe the events shift or change a little bit, but it's mm-hmm. like, all right, well, we got to do something in place of this. You know, my, my mother actually worked in uh, fundraising for a little bit volunteer position, um, big, big campaigns, you know, and uh, I just always thought, okay, well, they do the same thing every year, and they mm-hmm. just kind of hope that the campaign is successful that year. Yeah. And what COVID has done is kind of forced people to rethink how they're doing things, Everything. you know, uh, and I'm assuming that's been part of your life uh, yeah. now, too, yeah? Well, and I think um, what what we look at now is how do we continue – because honestly, the need is even higher now than it was before. Um, but how do we continue to share our message, but be really respectful about the difficulties that people are facing? Yeah. Um, but on the flip, you know, I'm now I'm arguing with myself. Um, <laughs> yes, we have to do that. <laughs> but um, I think also giving people an opportunity to say no. And that's one of the really interesting things about fundraising is that you have to be really okay with, and not take it personally with people saying, you know, no, I'm not interested or no, I can't, or this is a really bad time or I lost my job. Um, and that's okay. Um, and it's never personal and it's, you know, it's not me asking for money for myself. It's for something that people really care about. So, but being careful, you know, during this time of how do you balance the tremendous needs and the added expenses of COVID and, you know, families who now need even more financial aid than they did before. Um, but recognizing that a lot of our patrons, supporters, alumni may be, you know, they may own a restaurant. Yeah. That's, that's been a hard yeah. small business or a bar or, um, you know, lots of people are facing tons of challenges. So it's no different, you know, I'm facing them, you're facing yeah, them, we all right. are, right? Yeah, no kidding. It's interesting to hear you say that piece about um, the the not taking it personally, mm-hmm. and because it, I never would have put this connection together until you said that. But in theater, we're always telling the kids or anyone doing it professionally, when you go out and audition, you're going to hear no mm-hmm. way more than you hear yes. And to not take it personally right. and get used to that experience right. and... 
And I just the, the parallel there that I never even would have thought of just popped into my head as you were saying that. Well, and you're right. So I were, um, when I was younger, I was um, I studied ballet, and so I'm. Um, it's a very um, hyper critical <laughs> um, study discipline. And you spend, you know, hours and hours and hours having people tell you you're doing everything wrong. <laughs> um, and if you don't have a thick skin about it, um, you're not going to last. It's long, over. Right? <laughs> yeah, right, <exactly. laughs> or you end up crying yeah. you know, on your way home every day, which I did for a long time. Um, <laughs> but it is. It's, um, it's a practice of learning to, you know, be confident in what you stand for and really passionate about. And I am really passionate about this work. Um, so if someone says, you know, no, it's not a good fit or no, that's, you know, too big of an ask or it's not in my plans right now. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, I, I read in a book once where they said, um, bless and release. And I feel yeah. like that's, it's a helpful thing to kind of tell yourself. Yeah. Just, and it's a good thing for kids to learn, you know, as theater students. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. It's, it'll pay off when they're in their forties. And, and, I, and I have to walk that line, kind of what you were saying, where with your experience taking ballet and then you'd go crying every day. <laughs> yep. I have to walk that line too, where I, I'm begging these kids to embarrass themselves. You know, I'm begging them to, to get out there and do something that they're not used to doing beyond just learning a new skill. I mean, right. I'm asking them to, to make a fool of themselves and be goofy and silly, something that they may not have done since they were 10 years old. Right. And, uh, but, but at the same time, I don't want them leaving my class, you know, crying like he made me you know, act like a, like a squiggly octopus, you know, or whatever it is. Well, but I think that's such a valuable skill. And I, you know, trying to, you know, allowing people to be vulnerable and be comfortable yeah. with that. Um, that's hard because everyone wants to be right. And right. Everyone wants to look, like they know what they're doing. And I mean, adults are no different. Yeah. You know, it's hard for adults to be vulnerable and um, show their, you know, authentic selves and to reveal, you know, their faults. And I think it's, um, so if you can do it in a safe space, right. Um, you know, under the umbrella of fun right. and learning. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I could have used some of that when I was <laughs> in high school. It took it, me a long time to like come into this comfortable yeah. space. Well, uh, we're glad you're here. <laughs> uh, it <Sometimes>. definitely, <laughs> it definitely, uh, it definitely is is fun to to watch the the few kids that really closed off when they came into high school. Yeah, and it may have been before then, but at least now, as they enter high school, they are tunnel vision focused, forward. Nobody look at me. Nobody talk to me. And then they come into my class, and all of a sudden, they are the goofiest, the loudest, the happiest, you know, and, uh, in some ways, I, I mean, I hate to go back to this analogy again, but this idea of right now in COVID, some people can, some people can't give, you know, and, and for many people that might be their little bit of stepping outside right. the box, you know, like, yeah, I've been locked in my house for, what is it? Eight months now, nine yeah. months, eight months now, uh, at the time of this recording at least. <laughs> and, um, and, they're like, you know what? No, this is my outreach. This is my, you know, I don't, maybe I'm afraid to go take a walk around the block, but this is my way of stepping out of my house. It's not me. It's something else, but it's an outlet. Well, it's like, you know, it's, it's this chance to feel like you're doing something, right? you know, like there's maybe I can't do a lot, um, but we can all do something. Yeah. And if this is something that you care about. So I remember a few years ago, we, um, Sherry in the front office called me and she said that, an older woman had delivered an envelope for me. So I went and I said, well, she's still there. And she said, no, she left. 
it was like 22 $1 bills. Hmm. And there was like a little note on it. Like, this is all I can give. And I thought, this woman took the time and cared enough to gather what she had. I mean, it's like the story in the Bible, right? Right. She took what she had and she felt really proud, right? Like she felt like she was doing something and it was cash. It wasn't a check. It wasn't even mailed. You know, she brought it in and it's this, this, this gift of love and care and it doesn't matter what the dollar value is. Yeah. I think there's a lesson for all of us that, you know, this is what we're called to do. You know, those of us who have more than enough to be able to share that joyfully yeah, um, and not begrudgingly, you know, and there's a lot of power in um, kind of the flow of money in the universe. And um, I don't know if people always realize it because it feels obligatory sometimes. Yeah. Um, but if you step back and you really think, oh, I did that. I was part of that. Yeah. Or you see a kid in the hallway and like, oh, I, I helped do something. Yeah, I contributed here, right? to that. And, and it's, you know, when I have experiences with donors that have come into the building, some have come to see the plays, some have just been around for various events in the past. They're very proud mm-hmm. of their contribution, even if it is the 22 one dollar bills. Mm-hmm. You know, it th- that personal connection is is powerful. Right. And it's amazing to me how that's something that people crave. They crave that connection. Right. And I forgive me for bringing this back to theater again for a second. Um, I mean, that is mom. That's what you do. <laughs> that's what I do. Um, uh, you th- talk th- about chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was in high school, my theater teacher taught us a lesson about level one, level two, level three entertainment. And the idea behind that concept was level one entertainment is that surface entertainment. It's like reality shows and and kind of like like sitcoms. You know, you you know you always know as an audience member that you're watching some show and that's really it. Level two though is when you start to make that connection mm-hmm. to the material. You start to identify something in yourself. And we crave that sense of connection. Right. That's why when someone meets a celebrity the first thing they want to do is talk about how they met the celebrity, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or if somebody, if somebody volunteers at a, at a shelter and what'd you do last weekend? Well, I volunteered at a shelter and I'm not saying that they're saying that selfishly. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that they need that sense of community, that sense of connection. And, mm-hmm. and the donors that I've experienced conversations with in my short time here, has been that that's a major factor as to why this sense of connection and even if they are donating from California, you know, mm-hmm. 2000 plus miles away, right. then they see the, on the website, this thing happened and they're like, I, I was part of that, you right, know, and, right. and they get that sense of community. And I think that there's, you know, adding on to that, the sense of community, there's this collective power that goes with that too. So you may think to yourself, well, it's just $25. Like, what are they going to do with that? No, it's you and 400 other people who gave $25. Right. So there's this power that happens. And I, I wish people would feel that the way that I do. That like, <laughs> you know, when I, when, when this all comes together and we're able to do something really big and amazing because of the, the contributions of many, yeah. um, so it isn't, again, we're so grateful for those people who have made, you know, significant investments in making stuff happen. But similarly, 
all of those people who are kind of the underpinning of how we keep the school going. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do something that I call the four fun ones. I'm just going to ask you four completely random questions that would be almost like those, uh, like the personality questions on a job interview type of thing, you know, but there's no pressure here. You can even go up pass. (laughs) So first, um, who would play you in a movie? I don't know. (laughs) That's a good question. Um, I don't know. So people will occasionally say that, um, I, so I'm a little quirky <laughs> or maybe a lot, but I'm also really introverted. So yeah. I have this really weird mix of, um, so like, do you watch Shit's Creek? Yes. I love okay, that show. So I have a little bit of Alexis. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm a little bit of Alexis. I'm a little bit of Alexis. <laughs> um, so I have a little bit of that like weird, mm, um, but I, <laughs> The people can't see what I just did. I was doing an Alexis move. Um, I don't the know. Squirrel hands, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know. But then I also have like a little bit of like Sandra Bullock. Mm. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Pass. Okay. I think the Sandra Bullock and Annie Murphy answer is a perfectly good one. All right. Thanks. A hybrid. Yeah. A hybrid. Mm-hmm. Like the education situa- situation we're in right, <laughs> right. now. That's the word of the year. Hybrid. Yeah. Hybrid. <laughs> or cohort. Cohort. <laughs> Uh, speaking of words, <laughs> no. which words or phrases okay. do you most overuse? Literally. <laughs> um, that's, I think, a very over, I, over across the whole world. Yeah. That's an overused yep, word. I yeah. Um, uh, Dan in my office despises the word literally. <laughs> I say it all the time. Um, so I tend to overuse, um, I basically like am an 85 year old in a 40 something body so i use a lot of expressions and my team teases me all the time um that like a much older person would use so sure. like um better than a sharp stick in the eye and like <laughs> from soup to nuts and like well, all kiss these, my grits. right like all these weird like does, do yeah. people even say these things so i'm a i'm an um i have like a lot of phrases that sure. I use, but okay. literally would be my most offensive okay what is something that people are obsessed with, but you just don't get the point of? Hmm. Like overrated. Um, people are obsessed with. Um, I know my answer to this question. Well, tell me your answer. TikTok. I don't get it. Oh. And I'm a, I'm a theater teacher, and this yeah. is like a performative social media, and I just don't get it. I have teenagers. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, people are obsessed with, all right. There are certain things that like, I'm not, I'm not into and it's unpopular probably. Sure. I'm like super not into state fair. Okay. All right. And in Wisconsin, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And we're, and here at Pius, we're right down the street from state fair. Yeah. I like whisper it because I'm a little bit ashamed. Yeah. I'm not into it. Well, I I can. cream puffs. I can empathize with that. I I don't love the food. I will say there's some root beer on draft you can get at the state fair that is delicious. I support you. But uh, my wife and I both have a bit of um, 
crowd anxiety. Me too. And so we went to the state fair when we lived in North Carolina and we were just like panic attacking, just going, yeah. oh dear, we yeah. can't, we can't do this. It's too much. Yeah. And I, mean, I have a fear of heights. And the too. one thing my wife wants to do is go on the Sky Ferris wheel. Or ball, right? I'm like, I will close my eyes and pray while I'm there. I cannot believe you just said that. I was expecting you to say what's, you know, what's one of your biggest fears. Ferris wheel is like yeah. Between number one and number two, which is super weird. Because <laughs> how often are you on a Ferris wheel? Never. Never. But I'm petrified. Yeah. Like sweating, like shaking. <laughs> when I t- when my kids were little, I would, you know, we would go to whatever yeah. festivals and like, oh, can we go on the Ferris wheel? Like, oh, God, please. No, it's the worst. I hate <laughs> you guys Ferris have a wheels. great time. Uh-huh. I'm going to stare at you from the floor and maybe take some pictures. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Last one. Here we go. If you had to teach a class on one thing, what would you teach? Um, business writing. Business writing. Interesting. Yep. It was probably the most important class I ever took when I was at Marquette. It was a weird last minute like elective add-on. And I am obsessive about um, word choice. Yeah. And words have meaning and value and... Um, punctuation and formatting and you would not believe how long it takes me to write a letter (laughs) hours and hours and hours people who work for me with me um, I always say do you actually want my opinion or do you (laughs) want um, me to just be like yeah looks good because if you want my opinion it's going to come back (laughs) and it's it's my own personal you know opinion a lot of times but um, I feel like students today really need to understand um, how to communicate yeah. um, in a very precise way. And I think precision writing is actually a lot harder than creative writing. Sure. Um, in fact, part of creative writing is to not limit yourself exactly. and then go back and edit. But, right. you know, yeah, just put it on the page, get it out there. Right. Yeah. And then you can kind of expand on your thoughts and there's mm-hmm. a lot of emotion in there. And, you know, with business writing, you have to deliver bad news in a way that makes the receiver feel like it's not bad news. Sure. Um, you have to sell yourself or your organization in a really concise way. Oftentimes in fundraising, you know, writing grants, you have word limits. So how do you talk about everything that we do at Pius for the last 91 years in 250 words? Yeah. And how do you, I mean, that's a lot. Or with social media these days, things right. like Twitter, you know, was it 280 characters or something like that? It, in yeah. A, yeah, I mean, you're <laughs> I'm showing my age. Uh, like, it keeps getting cut off. Why is it? <laughs> and message number two. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Uh, another one of those things I just don't get. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, 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 wow. I actually, that's, that's so interesting to think about because I, I, I can imagine you probably spend more time on an email. Mm-hmm. than most people would even consider spending right. on an email. And that's awesome because it is something that doesn't really exist much anymore, especially mm-hmm. with something like email where people, the you know, the first message that was ever sent in email was half of the word hello. That was it. Oh, is that right? That's, that's literally how they figured out that their internet connection that they've created worked was L-O, the second half of hello. Hmm. And so to think that, okay, well, this needs to be a short, medium, small files, send it out there, you know, tell me more about this. 
question mark. No dear whoever, you know, letter writing. Mm -hmm. And as things have expanded, it's become the way of sending a letter. Mm -hmm. Even if the letter is an attachment, it's still the letter that's being sent. So letter writing and business writing, and it's coming back. It's becoming a very official thing that I feel got knocked to the ground quite a bit as the internet started to expand. But now it's kind of ebbed and flowed. We've gone one direction and I, I hope we're going back to the other one. Well, and I hope so too. And I think that young people, um, if any young people are listening, <laughs> are you listening, young people? Um, I do think if you have the opportunity, um, and I've always been a good writer, and it was um, my hardest class. Yeah. I mean, I she would just use that red pen all over everything. <laughs> and I thought, I'm a good writer. <laughs> what is happening? I wasn't a precise writer. Sure. And I wasn't clear. And I wasn't um, um, compelling. And I wanted to say all the things. Because I have a lot of words in my head and thoughts and ways to sell it and make it look, you know, jazzier. Nope. When, you know, when you're you're writing a memo, um, does anyone even write memos anymore? I don't know. (laughs) Mission statements. Okay. (laughs) We've gone through 400 (laughs) versions of those, too. It's two sentences. Right. And you spend hours or or days working on two sentences. Uh, For sure. Yeah. I was reading something about Winston Churchill and the way that he prepared his speeches. And there was some sort of quote. um, So if you want him to speak for an hour, he's ready right now. Right. If you want him to deliver a two minute speech, it'll take him three weeks to prepare. Sure. And it's the same thing with writing and um, a super important skill. And one, one of the great things about this kind of job is that um, it's this constant like improvement and learning new skills and getting better and, you know, 20 years, I'm still learning and listening and observing and trying to absorb um, what other people do really well. Um, and my writing, you know, get continues to get better. So maybe by the time I'm 80, I'm like <laughs> a really good writer. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, that, I, that is exactly why I asked those kinds of questions, because that's not an answer I would have expected. But I think that answer is... What did you expect me to Well, just, I don't know. I mean, ballet, maybe. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but, uh, I'm a little out of shape. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I mean, that's such a that's such a, a skill that, that should be taught. I mean, I just think about, I think about how I, I'm so worried that something in my emails or even letters that I send is going to be taken or understood the wrong way Mm -hmm. you know i think of it as oh i have to throw in this extra phrasing to make sure they understand that this is the context by which i'm writing as opposed to just kind of putting it plainly because as as you'd think an email would need because then they might read that line and go oh he's being trite here or he's you know but well no i'm i'm actually purposely not being trite here well that's a great that's a great point because with so much electronic communication, we've lost, you know, some sort some context. Yeah. So I could be, if you don't know me very well and you don't know, you know, my sense of humor and I try to be funny, you know, like in any, you may not interpret it that way. Yeah. Um, and I think when you're not speaking to people face to face or even on the phone, there's a lot of opportunity to like, um, um, misunderstand or yeah um you know like overthink it like did he was he being you know 
is he being passive aggressive? Like, what does that mean? Right. And then you start going down the rabbit hole yes. there. Then you go home crying again. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's ballet and it's writing. It sends you home crying. Well, thank you so much for coming in and Thanks, doing this. Jonathan. I really appreciate uh, you coming in and talking with us about advancement of pious and, and everything that and goes into it. And all sorts of other weird stuff. And all sorts of other weird stuff. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks. You too. The mission of Pius XI Catholic High School is to help each student reach their unique and highest potential. If you would like to invest in more opportunities for Pius XI students, please visit www.piusxi.org slash donate. That's www.piusxi.org slash donate.